Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. This is episode number seven. We post new episodes every week, so be sure to check back and subscribe. Today, I'm joined by Matt Babcock, who's one of the best NBA draft analysts in the business. Matt used to be an NBA agent, but he transitioned out of that role a few years ago, and he's been producing great content ever since. He writes for basketballnews.com, and he also runs his own website, Babcock Hoops. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBabcock11. Matt, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well, too. I appreciate you doing this. The draft is November 18th this year. It's obviously a very strange year as far as the draft. Uh, we have a virtual combine. All of the interviews are virtual. Uh, it's a very weird year, but I want to pick your brain about this year's prospects and this year's draft as a whole. So let's kind of start with that. What are the biggest ways that this year's draft is different? And what are you hearing from different prospects and agents who are preparing for an unprecedented process? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think one thing that's different in this draft, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with with uh, you know the pandemic and and all that is, um, you know, there's not a clear cut star player in this draft. I think there's a lot of parity. Uh, a lot of people have taken that and you know sort of labeled it as a bad draft. I, I'm not necessarily in that in that category. I I do like this draft and I like a lot of the players. Uh, there just isn't you know a clear top guy or top two guys. Uh, so it just makes it makes it sort of hard to uh, dissect what's going to happen. Um, in regards to uh, you know this this unprecedented pre-draft process. I mean, it's you know we you know I wrote an article for for you guys at Basketball News, and uh, you know what I kind of outlined was in normal years uh, it's it's about a two-month process. This year it will be when it's all said and done seven months, and so uh, and it's seven months without without the traditional uh, you know players traveling to team cities, and uh, you know there's not a big formal combine. I mean they, they you know kind of done some makeshift stuff here at the last minute. Uh, but it's you know seven months of guys just kind of training on their own and doing some Zoom calls with teens. So it's uh, yeah, just been been a weird year for everybody. Yeah, one of the things in that article you mentioned, which was a great article by the way, it, it really talked about how you know during that period when guys are training on their own and getting ready for the draft, you know, they're the agents are paying for everything. So it's going to be a really expensive bill for a lot of these agencies because guys have been training and you know focusing on pre-draft for a very long time. So it's it's very interesting to kind of you know because you were an agent for people who don't know, so you kind of see what that world is like and and understand kind of what the agents are going through during all of this. You know, what are some of the challenges that are facing agents because this year is so different? You know, representing guys for the draft is is the most challenging part of being an agent, in my opinion, anyway, in, in normal years, because, you know, you have to spend a lot of money and kind of aggressively travel around trying to sign guys. Uh, and then when you sign a player, uh, that's when the expenses really tally up, because, I mean, you know, generally speaking, the agent or the agency is responsible for uh, providing housing, um, you know, paying for the trainers. I mean, there, there ends up being a lot of a lot of expenses and it just kind of racks up. And so over over a two month period in, in most years. Uh, you know, whatever those expenses end up adding up to, that's that's your investment into the player. And then you need to kind of make that up through fees, which, you know, first round picks generally um, don't don't pay agent fees because it's a, it's on a scale deal. So it ends up being a long term investment in a lot of cases. Uh, obviously, this year we're just kind of multiplying that that window. I mean, you know, seven months instead of two, that's just more expenses. And that, that's bigger investments for for players that are, are probably of equal value to the, how they are most years. So it's a um, tr- tricky situation for agents, no, 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 no doubt. Do you think uh, we'll see teams evaluate players differently because there is no combine in person this year, because they're only getting a chance to, you know, see uh, Zoom calls and uh, some virtual workouts? Like, you know, it, it, usually this is the time when executives are flying across the country and going to different pro days and being in the gym with these guys. Do you think we could see teams rely more on game film uh, or rely more on the interview? I mean, do you think we're going to see a different evaluation process this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think just naturally everybody everybody's watched a lot more film, uh, done a lot more intel calls, just because there's uh, there, there's so much more time, um, you know, without us being able to travel. And so, yeah, you know, our, our staff included Babcock Hoops. Um, yeah, we've watched so much film, and we, we joked with uh, some of these players that we've seen in person um, that we're going to remember them for the rest of our lives because we've, we've evaluated them for so much longer than we have any other player. And I think the teams fall in that same same boat. I mean, they're. You know, uh, depending on the team, everybody's operating a little bit differently, but everybody's watching a lot of film, you know, tons of intel calls, and then they're doing Zoom interviews with these players. And so I think, you know, pretty much all of the information off the court um, is there this year. And, you know, like I said, some teams are, are a little bit more detail oriented than others, uh, but I think everybody kind of knows what's up with each guy this year just because there's been so much time to, to you know, to, to put in the work. Yeah, that's a great point. During the uh, the combine interviews, they had uh, you know different media availabilities with the different prospects, and I was on the different combine interviews. And usually during the combine, you talk to guys and they name the different teams that they interviewed with. And you know, for second round guys, it can be you know ten to fifteen. For first round guys, it's a little bit less. Uh, and this year, it seemed like the guys were you know all, most of them had interviewed with like twenty plus teams, just because there's so much time for these teams to you know uh, set up interviews and stuff like that. So I, I saw somewhere that. Uh, I think it was the Wizards met with or, or interviewed like 70 different players or, or more. I mean, so it's just, I think you're right. There's a ton of conversations happening, a ton of these Zoom interviews. And then, yeah, people are watching film. They've had, they've had months and months and months to watch film. So they're, you know, really, I, I think that's the biggest difference. I think we're going to see a lot of teams because usually it's all based on potential and workouts. And if you have a really good workout, a team might fall in love. I think this year it's going to be really heavily based on film and what guys have done during their collegiate career. Uh, because, you know, you don't want to take, you know, I think it's tougher to take a chance on a guy who hasn't played a lot in college and you're kind of banking on his potential. Uh, I mean, usually that's the big thing in the draft. Every year we see guys that have high potential and that are younger get drafted super high and, and teams want them. Do you think maybe there's less of that this year just because, you know, it's tougher to fall in love with that prospect when you don't work them out and meet with them in person? Yeah, I mean, I have a, have a couple different thoughts that come to mind with that. I mean, for one, I mean, the pre-draft, the tra- traditional pre-draft process uh, can benefit certain players and, and sometimes it's misleading. You know, a lot you know, we always talk about guys that shoot shoot the ball well. Uh, will look good in, in an individual workout doing spot shooting drills and, and whatnot. Uh, also, uh, athletes. A- athletes usually impress people in person. Just, I mean, just leaping ability overall athleticism. athleticism. Uh, doesn't mean guys like that should be uh, ranked as high as they end up being. So, I mean, maybe sometimes, um, you know, like I said, it, it is misleading to to kind of, you know, have teams and, and coaches fall in love with guys for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, film film is what it is. I mean, there's no hiding behind the film. I mean, if you're going to break a guy down, uh, it's all there for you to to, to watch. Um, you know, it's funny. I had a had a call with Fran Fischella this morning. Fran's a good friend of mine and a mentor. And, uh, we we kind of catch up every couple of weeks. And uh, you know, one thing you know he had mentioned was, you know, what what's changed. And I'm not going to name the players we were talking about, but what's changed with you know these players as far as their stock rising from March till now. It's like, hey, I've seen these guys a bunch. Like, you know, I I, I just I, I don't want to change my evaluation just because of the hype. Uh, is you know sort of surrounded them for whatever reason. And I thought it was an interesting point, and it kind of you know brought me to a, a comment that uh, my former colleague Matt McKay once told me. Uh, Matt worked in the NBA for eight years, and uh, he, he worked for uh, Chad Buchanan. And Chad used to always say to him, uh, "The most important part of the evaluation is when you go evaluate a guy in person. Remember how you felt when you walked out of the building, like that feel, like that gut feeling of, hey, this guy can play, or I, I don't think he's our guy. I don't think it translates. Whatever it might be." Don't forget that because that's 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 your own personal feeling of evaluating the guy, you know, and just don't get caught up in all, all the hype. And so, um, 
you know, it sort of sort of you know relates to what we're talking about here. Just you know, trying to you know stick to our guns, the work that we've done, experience that we have, uh, rather than just kind of fall into the traps of what the media and um, you know the public you know sort of you know says about some of these guys. Yeah, because that happens every year. There are certain prospects. I mean, I've I used to cover the draft more. I would go to Impact Basketball and IMG Academy and the different you know workout spots. And I remember there were some years where you'd see a guy. I'm not going to name any names like you, but you would see a guy and they looked horrible. And then you see that, you know, there's tons of hype around them. And sometimes that's the agency. I mean, you know this, Matt, as a former agent, sometimes that's the agency, you know, just making the guys super available for interviews and, uh, you know, being very accessible. So then when a ton of people in the media have kind of talked to the guy and feel like they kind of know the guy a bit, then they move them up their mock draft and they, uh, you know, rank them higher. But yeah, there's some years where you're just like, wait, why do people love this guy? I don't see it at all. I think he's going to be horrible. And yet the guy just keeps climbing and climbing. You know, why do you think that happens? Do you think it tends to be just because people fall in love with certain aspects of their game, like their athleticism or shooting? Or do you think it's more, you know, maybe a little bit of bias because they're getting a chance to talk to the guy and be around the guy? Yeah, I think that stuff happens. You know, I, I mean, I do personally, I do my best job of, of, you know, kind of taking, taking all emotions and feelings out of the evaluation. I mean, you know, for example, on my mock draft now, you know, I'm an Arizona guy and I, I mean, I'm super proud to be a wildcat and everything. And I've got Josh Green and Nico Mannion a lot lower than most people do. And so that's, a, I think that's a good example of, you know, Hey, I, I should be rallying behind these guys just because of my, my wildcat loyalty, but I, uh, I keep keep all the bias aside at least as much as I can. And, um, you know, but I think there's, you know, there are some media members, um, you know, that maybe do some favors and, um, you know, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a copycat type type industry, in my opinion, where, you know, one high profile journalist will, will, will come up with opinion and a bunch of people follow. And, and that's how you end up, you know, creating these like sort of hype trains, uh, for certain players. And I just, I do my best, uh, to kind of you know, avoid that and just stick, stick to my guns with my own personal feelings. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you're right about it being copycat. You know, I've seen, I've been there and I've seen journalists literally, copy and paste over, you know, a mock draft from one of the draft experts and then just arrange it however they, you know, made some little tweaks here and there to, you know, what they thought was, you know, right. Or, you know, maybe they, a lot of times too, people that cover the NBA and don't, aren't focused entirely on the draft like you are, you know, where you're covering the draft all year round and you look at these guys all season and, you know, analyze them. A lot of times they're just kind of playing catch up and they don't have the level of knowledge that you do. So, um, yeah, I think that's why, you know, doing what you're doing for Babcock Hoops and basketballnews.com is so important. And you do a great job with it. Um, I got one question for you, uh, one more question about just the draft overall, and then we'll kind of get into some specific players here. But I- I'm so interested in this. I feel like a few years ago, we saw the NBA really evolve and shift away from, you know, big men. Guy- big men weren't going as high in drafts, uh, or at least certain teams weren't valuing the same way. Uh, and then we saw guys that used to be labeled as tweeners. Uh, that were going much lower because they didn't have a defined position. Those guys all of a sudden started going higher and it became a positive. How do you kind of keep track of the trends that are happening in the NBA? Because I've talked to executives and even executives say it's hard to kind of keep up sometimes. You know, you might draft a guy and then they become irrelevant or their position isn't nearly as important one year later. I know some teams are are more ahead of the curve than others and, and they do a better job of kind of tracking where the NBA is heading. But when you're trying to analyze these draft prospects and when you're trying to sign guys as an agent, you know, how do you kind of keep tabs on where the NBA is heading and know whether your guy's going to retain his value throughout his career? Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great question. And uh, I mean, I think there's multiple multiple parts of, of that. And I mean, for, for me personally and, and with my guys, um, you know, we, one thing we I mean, obviously we spend a, a ton of time watching college basketball and, and watching watching international basketball. Uh, but it's important to continue to watch NBA basketball, too, just to make sure that we're staying up with 
you know, the, the league that we're, we're essentially evaluating for. Because, uh, I mean, if these, you know, knowing who a good college player is is worthless if you don't know how, how, you know, the current landscape of the NBA of how they would fit. And so it's important to kind of do a, a proper balance of having a grip of what's going on in the NBA, different trends. And so just, you know, using our own experience and, and, and our own personal evaluation of an NBA game, uh, but also, uh, you know, t- you know, making an effort to, to have conversations with people, d- different assistant coaches and in the league, uh, people like that. And, you know, we sit at, uh, we sit at games with, with uh, NBA scouts quite a bit. So that, that's a, that's a conversation that we all have uh, just, you know, kind of catching up and, um, you know, so, I mean, just, you know, a, a good balance of, of watching games, but also having the, the right conversations. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you bring up, you know, big guys and tweeners that, you know, going back to my conversation this morning with Fran, um, we talked about these things exactly. And, and you know, certain players of, you know, hey, 25 years ago, this guy would have been a, you know, a tweener for, you know, hybrid forward. Now this guy is like a perfect modern day four, and so it ended up being a disadvantage before. Now it's now it's an advantage, and you know, sort of the same conversation with big guys. I'm absolutely not in in the in the category of a guy saying the big man is dead. I just think we need to evaluate them differently. Uh, for example, James Wiseman, uh, you know, he's super high on my board. I've had him, you know, one or two, I think, all all year. Uh, we currently have a number two going to Golden State, and he, he's you know he's a big old boy. He's seven seven foot one, two hundred forty pounds, seven six wingspan. Uh, but the, the main thing with him is that he can really move. And so, uh, especially on the defensive end, you know, the way the game's played now, there, there's so much pick and roll uh, and, and spacing. Um, you, you need your big guy to be able to cover a lot of ground seamlessly. And, and so a guy like Wiseman, you know, still holds the value, even though he's a big guy, because he does all of like the old school, you know, re- rebounding, you know, rim protection, finishing at the rim. Uh, but he also can move. So I mean, he's not a, you know, a disadvantage or a liability on the defensive end. Uh, whereas, you know, one guy that that kind of falls into the category of it being a negative for him uh, is Udoka uh, Azabuki from Kansas. You know, big physical force. Um, you know, he's a guy I still think he's going to be a solid second round pick. If this were 20, 25 years ago, this guy would probably be a lottery pick. You know, I mean, he's just a banger. He's a physical force. He's got no perimeter game. Uh, you, know, really, you know, really his offensive skill set's pretty limited other than just catching the ball and dunking it. Um, and so, I mean, a guy like that definitely gets hurt. So big man's not dead. It's just, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, prerequisites are a little different than they used to be, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's just interesting because it changes so quickly, too. Like, you know, Jalil Okafor was someone that I knew really well. I knew him when he was in, you know, I think he was a freshman or sophomore in high school when we met. And, you know, I got to know him and his father. And he was someone that spent his entire life, you know, working on post-up moves and footwork and counter moves and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it was a huge focus for him, obviously. And then, and it's kind of the same thing where it's like, man, if this guy had played 20 years before, 30 years before, you know, he would have had a dominant career and, you know, he would have been posting up left and right, probably would have been, you know, one of his team's leading scorers. Uh, and we saw him play well in his rookie year when they gave him touches, but then the NBA just moved away from that so much. So his skill set kind of became obsolete. And then, yeah, the, the tweener thing is most interesting to me because I would go to the combine every year and talk to these guys. And, you know, if the word tweener would get thrown around or when the guy would say, oh, I can play any position. I don't have a set position. It was considered the worst thing you can say, it would hurt your draft stock so much. And, you know, people wanted to figure out, okay, what position do you play? They want a specific answer. So then, you know, fast forward three, four years, everyone's comparing themselves to Draymond Green. Everyone's saying I can play any position. Anyone's, you know, they're, they're, I can defend multiple positions, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just, it changed so much. So yeah, I mean, it, it happened so quickly, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it, and it's still evolving. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, journalists being copycats. The NBA is probably even worse. I mean, you have one good team do anything. Everybody tries to copy that model. I mean, obviously Golden State, you know, had, uh, had their success, their, their big run. And, 
you know, what's funny is I, I think everybody kind of like highlights their their lineups they put up put out there with with uh, with small ball Draymond playing small ball five and all that. But people forget they've always played big guys. I mean, Andrew Bogut, Zaza Pachulia, you know, and so I. Um, I, I don't think uh, you know Golden State. You know, sort of started this quite a bit, but I, I think people are uh, sort of you know categorizing the Warriors as, as an extreme small ball team, which I, I don't see it that way. Um, I mean, obviously the Rockets the last few years have really, but with D'Antoni, you know, they've gone extreme small ball. I, but across the league, I, I don't think I think it's more of the public if, if sort of like you know jumped on the bandwagon of okay, everybody's going to start playing PJ Tucker type guys at the five, and I just I don't see it. I mean, you go down roster by roster. There's still a lot of big old boys in the league. I mean, Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, I mean, Jokic. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of you know big bodied fives. And so, I don't I don't think it's completely going away. I think the James game's changing a little bit. I just don't I don't see a world where every night we're seeing you know six five six six you know five five men. Yeah, I agree. I think it takes really specific personnel to be able to pull that off and. Uh, you know, the right players around them too. So I, I agree with you. When you look at this year's draft, we talked about how there's not really a superstar at the top that you don't think any of these guys, you know, may, will be a Hall of Famer or that there's not a lot of star power at the top. Who do you have going number one at the moment? Well, this year's this year's draft is, is really tricky. I mean, for, you know, because of all the parody, uh, but specifically with Minnesota drafting number one. I mean, throughout the year uh, and, and during the seven month, you know, pre draft process before the, the lottery order was set, um, you know, we would simulate simulate our mock draft using uh, tankathon.com, um, and just to mix it up, to, you know, just to kind of show people and, and just use it as an exercise of seeing how how much the, the draft could shake up depending on who's picking where. And so Minnesota is one of those teams that I, I kind of hoped selfishly didn't get the first pick because I didn't want to have to make that decision publicly because <laughs> it's it's not it's not easy. Um, and so I, I did have Obi Toppin at one point. I think he's the best fit. Uh, you, know, you, you slot him in at the power forward next to Carl Anthony Towns. Offensively, they'll be so dynamic. Um, you know, defensively, it's an issue. A lot of people had concerns with that. And Obi, I mean, if you're just doing a big board, it's probably closer to four or five rather than than one as far as just straight rankings. Um, Anthony Edwards, to me, is the highest upside player. Uh, the problem with him, you know, there are some concerns with his maturity and you know his, his lack of you know a uh, motor. Um, but the biggest thing with Minnesota is they just traded for Malik Beasley, who averaged over 20 points a game in, in 14 games for them. And I, I really like him, and he, he's going to be a restricted free agent. And I just have a hard time believing you know them drafting a guy like Anthony Edwards and just letting Beasley you know walk. So I mean, I have Anthony Edwards going number one. I think they're going to be aggressive in trying to trade it. And I, I, I question, and if they do keep the pick. I don't know. I, I'm really torn. Do you go with the highest upside guy, even though he doesn't fit your team in Edwards, or do you take a guy like Obi Toppin or Denny Updia, which fits your team better? We'll see. But it's that's one one good example of uh, this year's draft just being so unique. I, I really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, how often can we say that? Where the number one pick, it's super up in the air, and we don't really know who the top guy is. And uh, you know, I think every year we kind of hear the rumor like, oh, they may trade the pick. But I think this year they're very active, very aggressive. Which you know, some years they just kind of put it out there and floated out there uh, just to let it be known that they're open to some kind of crazy offer but you know how hard is it sometimes to move those top picks because we hear that a lot oh this team wants to trade down but and I hear it from fans a lot especially too like oh why don't we just trade down get another first round pick or get this player but you know it takes two teams to trade and in a year like this where there isn't a superstar guy up hot you know at the, at the top of the board you know how, how tough is it to trade down and, and it's pretty rare we don't see it too often especially with the top I don't know the one through three picks yeah, I mean, this year I think it's 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 going to be harder for Minnesota to move it th- than in most years. It's gonna, probably going to be easier for teams to get up because I just I just don't think there there's nearly as much value with that first pick. And you know, one one thing to keep in mind 
you know, even in a year like this where there is a lot of parity and that there shouldn't be as much pressure on the first pick, there will be. And so whoever, you know, whether it's Minnesota or somebody else, you know, a guy, you know, being labeled as the number one pick, the spotlight's on him. You know, he's going to be making the most money of all the rookies. Uh, the endorsement deals will be a little bit bigger and the expectations are going to be a lot higher. And so I, you know, I think teams are, are, are hesitant of that. I mean, you know, why, why would we want to pay more money and have more pressure on the pick uh, if we don't need need to, you know? And so um, I, I think Minnesota is going to aggressively trying to move it. And I don't think it's going to take that much in, you know, to, to take back in return for them to actually agree to it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's probably easier said than done than, than moving in. You know, I mean, one example, I, I, I had done a, a Cavaliers uh, themed podcast a few weeks ago and they're asking me a similar type question. So I, I, I kind of broke it down for them just as an example. Of, okay, if say Cleveland moved up to the first pick, that that pick would be slotted to make uh, over $15 million more over the co- course of the rookie contract. So that alone, just the financial savings, you know, you know, $15 million, I know in the, in the big scheme of things isn't huge, but it's still, I mean, to get a comparable player, you're having to pay more. There's a lot more pressure. It just really, really kind of throws a wrench in the, the whole idea of like, hey, let's just let's move this pick and get additional assets, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. That definitely has to be considered. Just so I kind of understand what this class looks like, because I think people hear, oh, it's a weaker class. Oh, there, you know, isn't a star at the top. I know you said that you don't feel like it's weaker overall, just that there's not a lot of star power. But just to kind of get an understanding of uh, how these guys are, what they're projected to do. Do you would if if R.J. Barrett was in this draft class, if DeAndre Hunter was in this draft class, would they be the number one overall pick in your opinion? No, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, for, first of all, I, you know, I wasn't quite as high on R.J. coming out of the draft. I, mean, I don't want to say I disliked him, but um, I mean, he, he was. You know, some people had him as as a you know a clear cut guy that you know build around kind of thing. I I wasn't quite there. Uh, and DeAndre, I like him, but I think he's a solid guy. I think both those guys would probably be in the first tier of this year's group, uh, where they you know could be you know could be looked at as, as potential number one picks. Uh, but I think they get put in that group. You know, like right now, my first tier is six guys. Uh, not necessarily in this order, but this is the order we have it on our mock draft right now is uh, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin, Denny Abdia, and then uh, Onyeka Okungwu. And for me, all of those guys are pretty close. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different you know variables that we're juggling as far as evaluating them, but pretty close. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if any team took one guy or another in that in that grouping. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, LaMelo Ball is interesting to me because obviously he's had such a unique path to this point playing overseas, uh, you know, playing in LeVar Ball's league. Uh, I, I think the fact that LeVar is so outspoken, I mean, he's already been saying some crazy stuff like, you know, he shouldn't go to the Warriors because he's not a fit there. And then during LaMelo's combine interview, he had to kind of clean that up and say, no, you know, my dad has his own opinions. I'm my own man. I, I think I could fit anywhere. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that we saw during Lonzo Ball's draft process or Leangelo, but not, not that, you know, he got picked or was getting a ton of love, but Lavar's always making these comments and saying these crazy things, and then Lamelo has to answer for it. And I, I wasn't impressed with Lamelo during his combine interview, just to be completely honest. Uh, he was giving one-word answers. He seemed like he wanted to be anywhere but there. And look, I get it. Some of these guys, you know, don't love the media, especially someone like Lamelo, who maybe has been criticized or you know had his name thrown out there and and put in different rumors and things like that. Maybe that was part of it. But I was just, I think I told you after the call, I reached out to you and I was saying I hope his. NBA interviews with teams were much better than that media interview because if he was doing the same thing with teams then that's not a good look so I, I, I'm not sure about LaMelo uh, his game I'm not sure um, you know if he can be a superstar like some people are projecting um, I, I think 
he's definitely his game has changed a lot since he first came onto the scene because he can he became more of a driver and he got much bigger so he didn't rely on you know super long threes as much anymore like we used to see but what do you think of Lamelo's game and his draft stock you know, Lamelo is an interesting one. I mean, he's got so much hype surrounded by him. I mean, obviously, he's been like a celebrity the last few years, just being in his family. Um, and uh, you know, and he's talented. I mean, he's really grown. I mean, they listed him at six seven, but you know, he's probably six six, six seven ish. Um, and he, he just really got a knack to make plays. I mean, terrific ball handler. Uh, you know, just natural playmaker for himself and his teammates. Uh, you know, he's very inefficient. Uh, it takes bad shots. Shooting mechanics aren't great. Uh, and there's some concerns with like his approach and his personality. I mean, I, you know, I've said it before on, on different interviews, uh, you know, he kind of comes off a little, little bit entitled, you know, that, that he's, uh, you know, he's going to step in the league and, and, you know, light the world on fire. I, I don't necessarily see it like that. I, I'm a little concerned that he's gonna be able to step in and coexist with uh, established veterans and, you know, get into some tough coaching, which is naturally going to happen at the next level. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I think he's much more polarizing behind closed doors with NBA people. Uh, than he is in the public and, and within the media. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of people are are acting like he's the next sure thing. And you know, if there were a number one guy in this draft, it's him. I, I don't see it that way, and I, I don't think most teams do either. I know there are some NBA scouts that see him as the top guy, but I mean, there's other guys that don't like him at all. So I mean, it, it's an interesting guy to try to project. Where is he going to get drafted? You know, how successful is he going to be right off the bat? Um, I'm a little hesitant. I mean, he kind of seems like one of those guys. If I'm if I'm taking the you know you know have have a, have a pick in the first few picks. I might want somebody else to take him. I, I don't know if I want to deal with with all the risk and maybe some of the headaches off the court. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I, I also feel like, you know, I, I think he needs to be humbled a bit because I agree with you. I think he, he comes off as entitled and, um, and and it's hard not to. I mean, when you've kind of had that existence, like I totally understand he's had a very unique life and the dude's had millions of followers and since the time he was, you know, a young kid. So, you know, I, I don't think it's entirely his fault. And, and especially being that family, I think that was part of it too. But yeah, I mean, I just don't know if he's going to be humbled because he's going to be a top pick in the draft and then get a million, you know, millions of dollars. And he has a shoe deal with Puma now. Like I don't see him getting humbled in the future. I think he's going to be rewarded for, everything he's done and if you've made millions of dollars and got a shoe deal and were one of the top picks in the draft doing things your way why would you kind of move away from that and change what you're doing so i'm not sure if uh i'm not sure if that we'll see him you know uh mature or um you know be humbled but i think that would be good for him honestly but yeah he's he's interesting i, I know everyone kind of i had to ask about him because everyone's so interested in Lamelo and what's going to happen there um and i hope he has a great career like i i think i i got a chance to kind of see the lavar ball show firsthand uh whenever leangelo was going through the draft and um they were down at the the pbc the pro basketball combine uh in here in florida and lavar was there they had all the cameras for the reality show and leangelo was you know doing the uh the different workouts and interviews and stuff that's part of the combine and uh it's a secondary combine for fans you know people that don't know it's not the nba combine it's for like second round picks undrafted guys potential overseas guys to kind of get more attention and more love. Um, but yeah, LiAngelo was there and it's crazy. I mean, at all times you're on camera, they made everyone in the gym sign waivers because you're on the reality show, you know, cause if you're in the gym, you're on the show. Um, and, or if you don't sign, they have to blur your face and everything. But I mean, the attention is nuts. He enters a room and everyone's looking over at LeVar and LiAngelo and, uh, people are coming to try and talk to them. So they get on camera. It's just a weird existence. And if you've been dealing with that since you were what, 13, 14 years old, whatever LaMelo was, whenever that all kind of started, not the reality show, but just the attention and everything. I can see why that would kind of warp your personality and, you know, change you a bit. So I'm hoping he does well. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I think isn't necessarily his fault, 
it's just kind of the situation that he's been thrust into. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the mellow, but it's definitely interesting. Well, you know, thing. you know, one thing I wanted to add there too, you know, one thing we've talked about within our staff is with LaMelo, you know, he's got talent and he's got talent to, you know, potentially be a really good player. Uh, the one thing that concerns me is it's, he's going to, he's going to get punched in the gut on some level or another, just getting the tough coaching or dealing with veterans. Cause he just doesn't apply himself on the defensive end, thinks everything should be handed to him, all, all that stuff. And, um, you know, even if he does develop, how confident are you that that guy's going to be your starting point guard or your main player five years from now? I mean, it might be a deal where you build him up, get him to a certain point, and then he's such a headache and he demands out. He just seems like that kind of guy to me. And, uh, you know, we've already seen it with, with Lonzo. I mean, they, they, burned, they burned all the Lakers out and had to deal him, right? And um, sounds like it's happened again in New Orleans. And, and Lonzo doesn't have nearly the, the, the bad reputation that LaMelo does. And so, you know, I'm concerned. Yeah, Lonzo, he's typically, he's super quiet, doesn't really talk a whole lot. You know, I feel like his concern is mainly LeVar and kind of the other headaches, and maybe he isn't entitled a bit, but yeah, LaMelo definitely is kind of, uh, he has the worst reputation. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully, hopefully we're wrong and this kid has an amazing career and, you know, matures and goes on to be a Hall of Famer because I never want to root against anyone, just to be clear. I'm not rooting for this. It's just evaluating kind of what we see and, interviews and his game and all that so we'll see what happens with the mellow uh who are your favorite players in this draft it can be guys that are first round picks second round picks you know every every draft prospect or every draft expert i'm always curious to kind of hear your favorite guys that you've kind of seen uh either in workouts or their film you know who are some guys that stand out to you that you think could be really successful yeah i've got there, there's actually four guys that that i kind of routinely go to when, when i when i feel that i'm higher on than, than a lot of uh i guess other mock drafts and whatnot and uh, the first guy is isaiah stewart from washington you know and he's a guy he's an undersized big guy uh, and so i think all of the analytics sort of younger scout you know generation types uh write him off because you know he doesn't he doesn't necessarily fit today's game perfectly uh you know but i he does have talent he's so he's such a physical force and a big thing with him and these other guys coming to list is uh, you know doing my homework on on his personality and just his mental makeup. The kid's built to succeed. You know, I, I think he's uh, one, one line I've used with him is he's uh, he's willing and able to run through a brick brick wall. And just just that idea is just I mean that, that that's valuable. I mean if you're trying to create an, a winning environment and a winning team, you want guys like Isaiah Stewart. So yeah, he's the first guy I've, I've had him hire uh, pretty much than everyone all year. Um, the second guy would be uh, Malachi Flynn from San Diego State. Uh, you know, I just spent time with him in Vegas, got to know him a little bit. I interviewed him. Um, and he's just, you know, he's got talent. He's a, he's a smaller guard. Uh, some people compare him to the Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I think he's a little bit better of a point guard. Uh, but, you know, getting to know him and doing homework on him, uh, the kid, again, what I said about Isaiah Stewart is he is built to succeed. I mean, this guy does his homework. He's obsessed with watching film. He doesn't only watch film on, on, on his games. He watches film after every practice and applies all these things he learns from watching film and, and gets in the gym and he's a gym rat. Um, just a, you know, it's almost like a silent assassin type leader and tough as heck. And, um, you know, I've had, you know, I, when I travel around going to these workouts, I'll have a number of NBA teams call me afterwards just to kind of get my thoughts. And, you know, a couple of people call me about Malachi. The first thing that comes up is like, hey, you know, he's kind of small, right? I was like, yeah, he's small, but like this kid won defensive player of the year in the Mountain West. Like this guy's not like, stepping in the league and getting punked. I don't care what size he is. And uh, so he, he falls in that category. Uh, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse, a similar type story. I mean, older player that that transferred from East Carolina, went under recruited, uh, and he's just you know he's he's got the growth mindset. I mean, he's, he continues to get better. Uh, led a led a team at Syracuse that I thought had zero talent to a decent year. I think they won like eighteen games or something like that. And um, you know, I, I think he's going to succeed. 
Um, and then another guy, Jalen Harris, um, another transfer player that's a little bit older. I mean, he initially went to Louisiana Tech. Uh, he's a 6'5 combo guard, transferred to Nevada, and he just tore up the Mountain West this year. I, and I'm lucky to be in Colorado in, in the Mountain West territory. So I got to see him several times and um, just a killer instinct score. And so, I mean, all these guys kind of kind of fit the mold of, of what I like to look for as far as guys that have overcome some stuff and just have the mental approach uh, to be successful. I mean, they all have the growth mindset. They're all workers in, in their own way. And um, so that, that that's my grouping of guys that I think are, are sleepers. Who are some guys that you're lower on than the consensus? Guys that maybe you have some doubts about or who you have mocked lower? Yeah, and I, I get these a lot because, I mean, that's where that's where all the, the criticism comes from being an NBA draft analyst. Um, so the, the first guy I would say would probably be Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and again, I mean, I like him. I've had him, uh, you know, probably late lottery all year or for the most part. And, uh, some people have him as like a top five player. I mean, including some NBA scouts. Um, and so my, my issue with him, um, mostly stemmed from his, uh, his physical limitations. He, he's very thin. Um, I, I don't think he's, he's overly athletic. I, I have a hard time seeing him being like a primetime point guard. Cause I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get on the floor. Uh, get get to the, his spots on the floor, you know, when he wants. I think he's going to kind of get pushed around a little bit. I think he's going to be a little bit more of a complimentary guy rather than a, a lead player. Uh, so that just kind of pushes his value back for me a little bit. Um, another guy is uh, Cole Anthony. Uh, you know, and he's he's been maybe the most polarizing player this year. Um, you know, some people have had him as as, as a top pick. Um, we've had him more of a, you know a guy mid late first. I think we have him late first round right now and. Um, my problem with him is, is more of his, you know, his approach. He, he seems, seems a little selfish, uh, self-serving, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem to have the same kind of, uh, winner DNA that, that those guys that I mentioned before, um, you know, and so, I mean, that's just my opinion, the homework I've done. He just, you know, maybe not my kind of guy. So he's been a little lower, uh, on the board for me. And then the last guy that comes to mind is, uh, Tyrese Maxey and, uh, Tyrese does check all the boxes as far as mental makeup and approach. Uh, seems like a winner, you know, stud kid. Uh, I, I just the way I evaluate him is he's a six-two shooting guard. Uh, only shot, I believe, twenty-eight percent from three this year. Uh, and I, I just I don't trust his ability to play point guard. So now we're talking about a severely undersized two guard that that hasn't been a proven shooter. Uh, and some people have had him as a lottery type guy. I've had him more of a late first round. And so those are probably the guys that that stand out the most as far as uh, you know being you know big discrepancies in, in our evaluations. When you look at it, who are some teams that could trade up or trade down this year? We talked about the Timberwolves and you know how it's kind of difficult sometimes to trade that number one overall pick, especially if you're asking for a ton. But are there certain teams that you kind of identified as you know looking to trade out of their pick or maybe look to try to trade up? Especially, I mean, this is a weird year going back to what we talked about before. You know, some owners are hurting more than others, and they may not want to. They may want to trade a pick for cash considerations, or we've heard you know rumors that some teams may be trying to trade larger contracts to kind of get out from uh, paying that money. So, what are some teams that you're kind of looking at that could be you know active on uh, on draft night as far as trades? Well, Minnesota for sure, like we talked about. I mean, I think they're going to be aggressive on the market, and and where it is that they are, uh, which was what my initial expectation was. Uh, you know, predicting other other teams, it's going to be hard. I think there's there's two ways of looking at draft picks. Is one, okay, you could sell picks, which would mostly be second round picks. Uh, but I actually see second round picks as valuable, uh, especially if you're having you know financial concerns because you could draft guys, maybe draft older players like a, like a Jalen Harris that I just mentioned, who's ready to play, but you'll have him on a rookie contract, which is which is cheap, and so. Um, I, I look at it on the flip side of that, that, you know, at least that's how I would if I was running a team is, uh, hey, let's let's get a bunch of these these kind of guys that could fill out our roster 
uh, or, or if maybe you want to spend most of your salary cap on a couple of stars, you can round it out with, with some rookie contracts that, that can, you can put on the floor. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think there's a couple teams, uh, Boston and Philly uh, are two that have multiple picks. Teams like that are usually you know, pretty aggressive as far as moving, moving around a little bit. I mean, Philly, I think they have four second-round picks, and um, which makes it really challenging to do a mock draft because we do take into consideration what a team's done in you know with their previous picks. Uh, so I mean, you know, I, I don't see the 76ers using four second-round picks plus their first-round pick. So uh, th- those are two teams to kind of keep an eye on, and that'll probably shake things up a little bit. And then I, I want to ask you this question. You know, this is kind of similar to your favorite players, but. I want to focus more on guys that are, you know, either second round picks or even guys that might go undrafted. Who are some of your deep, deep sleepers that you like in this draft? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, there, there are there are a few upside guys that are that are a little bit, uh, uh, you know, being kind of hidden just from where they've come from. I mean, Jay Scrub, you know, is coming from a junior college. This kid's got so much raw talent. I mean, I you know, I spent a lot of time with him the last last month, and I talked with him and his dad throughout the year, and uh, really good kid. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't have confidence that he, he's there yet as far as his understanding of the game, but his his raw talent, you know, and, and he's the kind of guy I think could go late first or all anywhere in the second round. Uh, he's an interesting guy just because of the upside. Uh, and then Josh Hall uh, is a guy that came out of prep school and uh, similar type deal. I mean, he's guy he's got the physical tools. He's six nine. He's long. He's a, he's a he's a straight three, uh, but he's you know he's essentially coming straight out of high school, so you don't necessarily know exactly what you're getting. Uh, but guys like that um, are, are interesting because if a team's looking you know, looking to add a guy that that's not you know necessarily needed to contribute right away, you know, could end up being a uh, you know, sleeper pick, a guy that kind of turns out to be one of the best players in the next next few years. Last question for you: We've seen that a lot of players, a lot of top prospects, are going to the G League and uh, you know taking that that path to the NBA. Do you think that's going to become more and more popular going forward? And then, do you also think we could potentially see them lift the the age rule going forward so guys can jump to the NBA right out of high school? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this year plays out. Obviously, I'm sure the G League office is just so stressed out with with, with what's gone down. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of time recruiting these top players to their their G League elite team. Uh, and, and now, I mean, the G League season's up in the air, and uh, I'm not really sure what to expect. Uh, I'm hoping they're able to get it cleaned up because I mean, there's five guys on that team I, I need to watch, and so um, I, I think a lots a lot's going to be. Um, you know, sort of analyze this year as far as like how how it's going. I mean, actually, I, I hosted a webinar a few weeks ago with uh, a lot of the, the players uh, or the, the parents of top players in the next couple of years drafts. And that was one big question of asking my opinions of like these alternative options of, you know, going to the G League or going to Australia rather than college. And I mean, I, I know if it were my son, I wouldn't want him to be a guinea pig. And so, I mean, we, you know, we're all kind of uh, in the same spot of seeing how, how the G League is going to execute this. And if it goes well, I, I easily see a lot of players continuing to do it. But th- there is some pressure there. Absolutely. Well, Matt, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I cannot wait for draft night. Uh, again, I wish you were closer, but it's about a month away. So we're, we're getting there. I know these are the uh, the most, you know, the busiest time of year for you, the craziest weeks. So I appreciate you making time to do this. No, thanks, Alex. Anytime. And Matt, you've been doing a fantastic job too. I have to say your articles for basketball news have been amazing. You know, you have a bunch of interviews coming up with different draft prospects. Your breakdowns have been great. Again, I love that article about uh, the, what agents are going through during pre-draft, especially in a unique year like this. So fantastic work. Keep it up. Thanks, Alex.
Make sure you're following Matt on Twitter at MattBabcock11 and check out his great work on BasketballNews.com and Babcock Hoops. And if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a minute, leave a rating and a review. That really helps us out a lot. And until next time, thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to stay safe. At Greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, which are all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners get 10% off their order when you use the promo code ALEX at checkout. That's A-L-E-X for 10% off your order. They have KN95 masks, cloth masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit Greensupply.com today. That's greensupply.com.